Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Kakor Movement Podcast. On this episode, we have the triumphant return of Joe Reed. He is a trainer based out of Southern California, and if you haven't heard his story yet, please download episode number 27 of the podcast so you can get a full understanding of his journey through suffering with fibromyalgia. This episode is everything that he's done to continue his recovery from fibromyalgia, including better sleep, better eating, and better training. It's a fantastic conversation. I'm just going to jump right into it. Without further ado, here we go. Arizona. Like I just jumped on Facebook and saw my friend post a picture of his neighbors across the street and like a tree blew over onto both their cars on in their driveway. I'm like, shit. Oh my God. Yeah. It's crazy. Wow. You guys are probably getting the back end of what we have. We got a pretty windy day here too. So. Oh, did you? Yeah. Uh, You man. How you doing? How you been? I'm good. I, uh, there, that's better. Audio is better. Um, yeah, I'm working a lot. There's a lot, you know, so I don't know if this happens to you, but, you know, December and January are just like terrifyingly slow. And you're just like, <laughs> shit. like, what happened to everyone? Where, uh-huh. Like, is did is your life just stops happening? Right. And then, so now I'm kind of at the tail end of that where everybody's like, oh, crap, I got to take care of myself. I better. Uh-huh. And now I'm just working really hard, man. It's good, but it's also like, you know, dang. Feast or famine, man. Yeah, I feel you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's the thing. And uh, we got a lot to talk about today because since the last time I talked to you, you started this new business, right? Yep. And uh, so let's tell everybody what that is and what you're doing and um, how that's going so far. All right. So um, businesses train out of pain. Um, I work with, as we call them, special populations. I work mostly with people that are either in pain or disabled, have a chronic illness or some type of chronic pain. Um, I don't really deal with athletes anymore. I don't deal with fat loss clients very much. Um, So it's mainly just the people that really need the most help and so far going really well. Um, Got some clients right now that I'm really, really excited to be working with where um, one of them has fibromyalgia. Another one has a cousin of fibromyalgia called polymyalgia rheumatica. And um, just in, you know, a few sessions of both these people, I've been able to see some pretty big changes and their biggest fears were, you know, coming in and working with me and, you know, either regressing or having a flare up or having more pain. And it's been anything but so far. So it's been, it's been really exciting actually. That's really awesome, man. So like, that's a thing that I've kind of evolved into as well, because when I started my massage practice, I was, I'm only going to work with only athletes because, you know, they want to take care of themselves. And, right. and it's so 
far from the truth. It's really weird. But then, then the, the more you uh, work with people, the more you understand, like athletes are actually a pretty small percentage of the population and a majority of those people have a proclivity towards it. Yeah. And so there's a lot more people that actually need your help than just athletes, you know? So it's really, really interesting. And then there's a, there's like the, the quote unquote average person mm-hmm. um, needs more help than anybody because they don't really have a direction because they haven't been an athlete their whole entire lives, you know? So, um, you know, like, cause yeah, anyway, <laughs> it's a thing so yeah it sounds really good and then so like i wanted to talk to you more about uh fibromyalgia and you're also you know on your um on all your social media posts you talk a lot about um like blue light and how that affects you in sleep and how that affects you in sunlight so i really want to uh dive in and unpack all that stuff because awesome my, my wife's been asking me a lot of questions and i'm like shit i don't know any of that stuff i'll just ask joe you know <laughs> yeah so uh let's start with sleep because i started reading um matt walker's book why we sleep and just immediately you're like god i'm kind of a shitty person i don't (laughs) you know what i mean yep yeah i was just given that book um over the holidays it's it's on my list of books to read it's about like seven or eight deep right now but i'm actually really anxious to read that yeah it's good and i mean like i got like immediately the first chapter. So one thing that I appreciate about his book is you can open it up to any chapter and one chapter doesn't influence the next chapter, you know, so you can open it up and learn something and then set it down. Um, but immediately like a quarter of the way through the book, you're like, Oh God, I got to make some changes, you know, like, cause it's, it's pretty, we're, we're as a society, pretty fucking sleep deprived, man. Extremely. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. That was me for 15 years, man. I was, yeah. I was a bona fide insomniac for 15 years where every type of insomnia you could possibly have. I tried every single over-the-counter medication and every pharmaceutical medication that my doctor would give me. And I actually stayed up on all of them. Yeah. No sleep whatsoever. And, you know, at one point, 12 or 13 years ago, my doctor looked at me after trying a, a drug named Restoril. He goes, you know, this should have knocked you out. It's, it's really alarming that it didn't. And, um, so, you know, I think you need to be studied. I think that you're just uh, an exceptional person who doesn't sleep and you can still function, which I don't know how, but you know, that was uh, my biggest issue aside from my, my fibro pain and fatigue for a long time, where that actually was something that preceded my fibromyalgia. And I truly believe had a huge part in my fibromyalgia developing where, you know, I've had sleep issues since I was a, probably a teenager. Um, my mom and I've talked about it where she says, yeah, you didn't sleep that much. And I remember staying up really late, and, but as I um, got older and into my twenties, especially, um, and then in my mid twenties, I just didn't sleep. I, I was averaging probably anywhere between two to four hours of sleep a night and it was never good sleep. If I got six hours of sleep, it was a miracle. And um, my worst week of sleep, seven days, I got 12 hours of sleep. That's how bad and how severe it was. So that was always a big driver for me and um, I just never had any answers and I never really did the research and when I started doing the research um, and started listening to different ideas, opening my mind to different ideas and trying to implement those ideas is when I started to see a change and the the first one for me was, um, in which there's a lot, there's a lot of things I did but the first one was I I stopped stopped wearing sunglasses in August of 2018. 
Um, I had worn sunglasses on a daily basis since I was a young teenager, if not before then. And I never really realized the implications upon our biology and our physiology, but especially when it comes to sleep and hormones and how that can impact things. Um, so, you know, I just went down a bunch of deep rabbit holes when it comes to sleep. And, you know, lo and behold, uh, about a year ago, um, I finally got my first eight hours of sleep in I don't know how many years. And it was amazing. Well, the next day I had a two hour nap and I slept nine hours that night. And then the next day I slept another eight hours. It was over a weekend. I slept more than I did in, in that one week I talked about. and said, okay, I've been doing some different things and obviously some things are starting to work. Um, but it was, it was really difficult because I tried so many different things early on that never made any impact. Taking supplements, um, trying every type of natural remedy that there is, herbs, you name it, and nothing really made an impact. You know, even taking like high level melatonin, which normally works for most people it never impacted my sleep at all so i had to really dive deep into research about um, sleep and what's going to affect me and try those things out just to see what's effective and what's not because you know i really do believe we are all different we're all pretty much singular as much as we have similarities biologically um, there's going to be different factors for everybody so for me um, i had to take a big step back um, and try to look back at my life because I thought it was the breakup of um, marriage with my son's mom. Um, that was a right around that time that that stress from that is what drove my insomnia. And I truly believed that for the majority of that 15 years until I went a little bit deeper into the research, especially when it comes to light. And um, after reading a lot of research and getting my head kicked in uh, from a couple of my mentors about light, I took a big step back and realized it wasn't just the stress that I was going through, but my environment that I was under most of the day, where um, at that time I started working a second job in the evenings. I was already working a full-time job Monday through Friday. Then I worked a part-time job in the evenings and weekends where I worked for a major um, electronics retailer and I was subjected to their crazy bright fluorescent lighting from 4.30 until 9.30 at night every day, if not later. and um, just like everybody else, we don't realize that light is different. The sunlight, artificial light, the candlelight, to starlight, to moonlight, to firelight, all of it's different and it affects us differently. So when I took that big step back and I realized that my environment was just really shitty when it came to light, I had an aha moment that um, said, you know, your light environment really played a huge part. And I had a little bit of intuition with this where over the years, um, when my wife and I, current wife and I moved in together, said, please don't turn the bathroom light on if you get up in the middle of the night, because that light is going to keep you up. And that intuition is something that's allowed me to go deeper in the research where I realized that light is a big impact upon our biology. Um, it's the biggest impact upon our environment that we can control as human beings. And a lot of us just don't take it into consideration when it comes to sleep or chronic illness or chronic disease. And it's probably the biggest thing that I've researched over the past uh, two years, especially, but going back probably like two and a half, three years, because I've done the, the research on the food. I've done research on the movement and, you know, the mindset and a few different things. Well, I got to a point with my fibromyalgia where I was having occasional pain-free days, which was my only goal. But I found that if I could have occasional pain-free days, why can't I take it to the next level and see if I can completely reduce, if not eliminate all of my symptoms? And in doing all of that research, especially with the light, it's now taken me from having occasional pain-free days to being 
on the verge of uh, almost 20 months symptom-free from my fibro. So the sleep was a big one. Um, once I got that sleep under control, um, it changed everything because like I said, I was having occasional pain for days and feeling pretty good every once in a while. But I went from that to, holy shit, um, I haven't had a flare up in three months and then six months and then nine then 12. And now I'm like at a year and a half where I've had zero symptoms in that time. And I think really the biggest driver for that was all the research about light that I've done. Yeah. So that's interesting because, you know, we're the only species that need sleep to survive. And so when you start thinking about how long you've gone without adequate sleep, then your fibromyalgia starts to make sense because what pain is, is like, you know, like Perry says, is a it's a signal for change. Right. So then it's basically saying, Hey, we have a fucking problem that you're not paying attention to. And exactly. if you, so if you're having pain literally all over your body, how long have you not been paying attention? You know what I mean? So then it's like, um, you know, and then the older you get, the worse it gets too. So like, uh, me and my wife went out to Denver, uh, Denver, Colorado, uh, the weekend before last and just out of just whatever it is, trying to cram as much as we can into four days. I got like four to five hours of sleep each night. And here I am a week and a half later, just like, Oh shit. Like I'm so tired. Like, yeah. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? But then, you know, I was like a raver kid when I was like 17, 18, like go partying for 48 hours straight. Like the hell are we doing? Right. You know? So, uh, you know, and it's funny because, um, I released a fitness program recently that's basically designed to help manage stress in people. And so, you know, mainly shift workers, uh, first responders, like people that just are just shitty all the time, right? Because of no sleep or whatever it is. And um, that's like the one thing that just contributes to so much stress is not getting sleep and then, you know, not eating well and then not working out. And so then I'm having a hard time selling it because it doesn't get you six pack abs in six weeks. Right. It doesn't put a hundred pounds on your back squat. It calms you the fuck down, man. You know what I mean? So it's like, we need to chill out. And there's a societal standard of like, oh, I've been burning the candles out at both ends. And you're just like, oh, that's really cool, bro. I wish I had to do that. Shut up. Right. Like, that's a point of pride. Just don't burn the candle. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, you know, especially with my wife, like she worked four days in a row and, and now she's like, you know, really tired today. And I'm like, cool, be tired that's your body telling you that's what it needs. So, exactly. you know, so we have like this weird um, societal narrative that we have to constantly be productive, you yeah. know, and like just designing that program and, you know, putting all the work in, it's a 12 week program. It has like 36 workouts. It's, it's um, designed specifically for those people. And then you start having like imposter syndrome. Do I even know what the fuck I'm talking about? Do is, is this even, you know what I mean? So it's just like, oh, yeah. and then just the fear of like putting that out into the world, you know, cause I know like a lot of high level practitioners that are my friends and they could just be like, Oh, you're full of shit. And you're like, I freaking knew it. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, man. Uh, like, so that burned me out like completely. And so now I'm just accepting the fact that I'm burned out instead of being like, oh, I didn't do my Instagram post a day or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? I'm not really trying really hard to sell that program right now. Like, 
because I'm just tired and it's okay. You know, so um, yeah, that's really important too. And so I want you, so um, one of the reasons why I got you on is because of like the blue light blockers, right? So like, I want you to unpack that a little bit for everybody because I need to understand that a little better. Sure, man. Love to actually. That's, it's, uh, that's another, it's probably the biggest thing that impacted my sleep, honestly, above everything else. Everything that I've learned, everything that I've researched, everything that I've tried, the blue light blocking glasses have absolutely without a doubt changed my life. Um, so, you know, it's, and they're really easy to use for the most part, but when we're looking at um, our modern day lifestyle, um, we got to look at how much tech addiction we have, but we also need to look at the artificial lighting that we have after the sun goes down. So I really try to look at things as much as I can through an evolutionary lens and evolutionary perspective. And if we do that with light, it's pretty easy. We can roll back the clock 150 years and we're still not going to have the light sources that we do now. It's not that far you know, past where we didn't have this. You know, it's been about 120 years since we've had the electrical grid and the light bulb. So if we look at light a little bit differently, um, like we should, then we should be minding our biology. What I mean by that is um, once the sun goes down, if we're looking at this, you know, even a thousand years ago, a thousand years ago, when the sun goes down, we're not eating, we're not out playing, we're not socializing, um, we're probably just going to sleep. So now we have this modern lifestyle where we have all types of light available to us at all types of day, which has extended our days, um, has basically made a 24-hour light uh, cycle that we can still work in, um, but that causes some repercussions within our biology as well. Um, the biggest things, the biggest detriments are um, the hormone melatonin, our sleep hormone. Um, it is our sleep hormone, but it's so much more than that as well. It is anti-cancer. It's the best antioxidant we have, um, and it is also something that takes care of our mitochondria. And that's something that I've learned about as well. But melatonin is, is probably one of the biggest hormones that I've done a lot of research on because I had a hormonal panel done a couple of years ago and found that I was pretty much void of all melatonin. And that was kind of how I started going down these rabbit holes. Um, but with the blue light blocking glasses, um, I got into it because of all my sleep issues and um, found this company, Raw Optics, um, run by this very bright young man. And um, He's basically just saying like, if you wear these, if you wear them at the right times, you're going to sleep better. I've tried everything else. It's just some glasses I can invest in. Let's see what happens. And lo and behold, when I started to wear them, I found myself getting sleepy, which one of my biggest issues was trying to get tired at night. I would go to bed and lie down and toss and turn for hours most nights. Now, all of a sudden, I'm starting to get drowsy. And then I found myself sleeping a little bit deeper. I was no longer waking up in the middle of the night like I used to. And then eventually sleeping seven, eight, nine, and up to even 10 hours. In the last month, I've actually slept for 10 hours in a night. So the blue light blocking glasses, what they do, and there's many different variations of them. Um, but we're going to talk about specifically the red lens glasses today. Um, what they do is they basically protect your melatonin levels and protect your circadian rhythm. And how they do that is, Again, looking at through an evolutionary lens, a thousand years ago, once the sun goes down, like I said, we're not sleeping, we're not watching, or while we're sleeping, we're not watching TV, we're not doing any activities. Well, now, once the sun goes down, we flip the lights on, and that extends our day, which is great. It allows us to have family time and work and do whatever we need to do, but there's a consequence. And anytime we try to bypass Mother Nature's laws, there's going to be some type of a consequence when it comes to your circadian rhythm or light. And with melatonin, the light that we have artificially after sun 
goes down is the biggest detriment to us because um, we have this blue light photoreceptor in the back of our eye. Its name is called melanopsin. And melanopsin wasn't discovered within, you know, it was only discovered in the last 20 years ago. So it's still something very new that not even a lot of ophthalmologists know about. Um, so melanopsin is a blue light photo detector that sits in the back of the eye that anytime it sees the color blue or the spectrum, um, mostly of green as well, after the sun goes down, then that reduces your melatonin levels drastically, pretty much immediately. So let's take, for example, if you come home from work, let's say it's eight o'clock at night and you walk in, it's dark, you flip on your lights, you have LED lights, or you have compact fluorescent bulbs. Um, they don't have this wide spectrum of color like the sun has, even though we don't see most of it. Um, it has a giant spike in the blue range that is not offset by the red, where within our sun, that blue is always offset by red. So that huge spike in the blue does some things to our biology. Um, namely, it destroys our melatonin and throws off our circadian rhythm. That is one of the easiest ways to impact your sleep in a very negative way. If melanopsin, sorry, if melatonin is a sleep hormone, then we need to preserve that as much as possible. And it is not released until three hours after the sun goes down and you no longer see blue. So if you think about if you're going home at eight o'clock at night, you're switching on your lights, which have that big spike in blue, you're getting on your iPad, you're watching TV, whatever it may be, all those things are telling your brain that it is midday. That's a big problem. That, that gives you a huge circadian rhythm mismatch. Your brain thinks it's midday while your body's trying to wind down telling you, hey, it's getting time to go to bed. That creates all kinds of chaos. That misinformation creates inflammation within the body. And over time, like in my case, you're going to develop some type of a very severe sleep disturbance, sleep issues, like some type of insomnia. So um, the red light glasses, they block any type of blue spectrum or green from entering your retina. It's not about the light coming through the sides of your glasses. It's only about the light coming through here through your retina because you have three different types of sight through the eyes and it's not just about how we see photographically. Those light receptors in the back of the eye are only worried about what's coming in through the front through the retina. So we have the red blocking all the green and blue spectrums coming in through the retina but it also reduces the brightness because overall it's not so much the blue and the green spectrums that really peak our brain and make us awake. It's the intensity of the light, the brightness or the lux. So we want to make sure that we're reducing that light as much as possible. So looking again through an evolutionary lens, we roll back the clock, we evolved under starlight, moonlight, sunlight, and eventually firelight. And that's it. So if we look at it at the end of the, this day, it's more heavy in the red. That's why we have the red lenses on. If we're looking at fire, it's heavy in the red. There's very little blue, which is not going to reduce your melatonin levels. So we can reduce the intensity of the brightness by having a nice dark red lens the intensity of light that comes through and it also helps protect your melatonin levels because it really is released after the sun goes down. You don't see any blue every night, like I said, for three hours. So we make melatonin during the day. Um, you make it in your eye. Um, that's another reason why I don't wear sunglasses. You make it in your eye. Um, you use actually a branch chain amino acid. You use that when ultraviolet and infrared, ultraviolet A and infrared are present in the atmosphere. That is when you can actually build melatonin up in the eye. So you want to be outside in the morning time, like between like 9 a.m. and noon. No sunglasses on, no contacts, or as much skin as you're, as much skin exposed as possible because your skin, all of it, um, has photoreceptors all over as well, which tell your brain what time of day it is. And then once the sun goes down, boom, red light, or uh, sorry, the red lens, blue light blocking glasses are on my face. 
Um, they do not come off of my face for anything. I don't go out much, but even if I do, they're on my eyes. Um, I have some that I use for driving that are not red because the red is a little too dark for driving and it can become dangerous. So I have um, orange tinted glasses. They're called UVEX construction glasses. Um, those also work really, really well. They're uh, a pretty inexpensive way to kind of dive into this. I have a clear um, pair of blue light blocking glasses that I will wear inside during the day that blocks most of the spectrum of blue, but we still need blue. So I'm just reducing the amount of blue that I have in my environment because there is a huge spike in that blue. And then I also have, if I want to wear them during the day, if I'm in a really bad environment during the day, I have yellow lens glasses that also block most of that blue and green spectrum as well. But for me, um, the biggest thing is blocking that light at night. Once the sun goes down, I try to watch the sun um, go down every night. Once that sun goes down, I put those glasses on my face and it's just uh, go about my day with them. I even have, um, I have what's called a, a gel, a photography gel over my television. I don't watch a lot of TV, but if I do, I make sure that I'm blocking as much as the blue and the green coming out of that screen as possible. This um, gel is basically a piece of, a thin piece of acetate that's red that the company has even shown that it blocks these spectrums of colors, the blue and the green. I put that all over my TV screen and you know my wife doesn't care for it because she can't see color anymore. I don't really give a shit because she's not diligent in wearing her glasses. Um, so I put that on there so there's no questions, right? You know, my stepdaughter has friends that come over every once in a while, they walk in and as soon as they do, they see the TV, I go, what's wrong with your TV? And they just point to me, ask him. Um, and you know, I'll tell the child, it's just gonna help us you know, remain healthy basically. You know, when looking at my wife, she sleeps much more than I do, but she sleeps a lot because she is sick and she's inflamed. And um, she is really bad about wearing her blue light blocking glasses. And for, for me with her, it's not about her sleep. It's about protecting her melatonin levels so that she doesn't get cancer. My wife has psoriatic arthritis and has had it for over 20 years. And from all the research that I've done, even on psoriatic arthritis, that is basically telling me that she's precancerous. And it's only a matter of time before she does develop some type of cancer whether because of her lifestyle or environment or the combination of both, whatever it may be. But I'm going to do all the things that I can without being a nag. And the biggest thing for me is to make sure that she's creating melatonin and protecting that at night too. She likes to watch TV. So my TV is protected with its own set of blue light blocking glasses on actually. It's, it's really fascinating stuff. It's a really easy way to, to implement something into your life that can make a monumental change for me. As much as my fibro impacted my life, which it did, I mean, it took everything away from me. I was retired due to disability, I was in a wheelchair. My sleep dysfunction for 15 years impacted my life at a much greater level than my fibromyalgia did. So the fact that I can sit here and say, yeah, I've been you know, symptom-free for fibro from fibro for 19 months is great. But now that I can sit here and say that I've eliminated my insomnia after 15 years and I sleep like the dead, seven to 10 hours a night, every single night, nap on the weekends, it has been the biggest life changer that I could ever express. Um, I wake up with all the energy in the world now. I don't drink caffeine. I wake up for rest of every day where normally I'd wake up and just feel like I got hit by a truck and I'm pressing snooze four times and going through my day as a zombie and wash, rinse, repeat every day. I did that for 15 years. And now if I get less than you know six hours of sleep, which very rarely happens, I feel like just a waste of a human being. I can't walk, I can't talk, I can't think. And then I look back like, well, no wonder why I had so much brain fog when I had fibro. No wonder why I didn't think clearly. No wonder why I couldn't perform well, whatever I did. I never got that rejuvenating sleep. 
I never got rested. I never recovered. I never got to go to sleep and wake up and wake up the next week. Go, wow, I feel amazing. That didn't happen for 15 years. So the blue light blocking glasses, once I started to wear them, I started to get sleepy. I said, okay, there's something to this. And now I'm, I'm hooked. I'm sold. And um, I have an affiliation with, with raw optics because of that, because I, I believe in their product so much that I, I reached out to them and said, Hey man, I love what you guys are doing. You guys put out great information and it's changed my life. And I'd love to be able to represent your company because I want to help other people change their lives. And when it comes to fibromyalgia, the sleep is a big part of this as well. It's very, very few people who have fibromyalgia that do not have sleep disorders. So, you know, that's why I reached out to them and said, look, I'd love to work with you guys. And um, they told me, you know, we don't normally work with people unless they have an X amount of followers on Instagram. They got a, a bigger social network than you do. But, you know, I told them my story and what I'm trying to do. And they said, we'd love to work with you because we believe in what you're doing too. So it's, it's a great relationship that has blossomed out of something that has completely changed my life in the most amazing ways. I, I can't speak highly enough about blue light blocking glasses. And the other side of the coin of that is there's a lot of misinformation about it out there now too, because it's, it's starting to pick up steam. You're starting to see it in smaller or retail stores like Target, actually. Um, while in the holidays, I saw a, bear, a pair of blue light blocking glasses at Target. And I looked at them and said, this is a joke because they're clear. I know they're not being tested. I know they're not blocking the spectrum of blue and green. Basically, people are just being sold something they're being told is going to work for them. Then they get them home to put them on. Hey, this didn't work for me. I just wasted my money. That is not the case. If you get the right kind of glasses, I have a... Um, a color strip that shows you the exact blue and green that needs to be um, completely eliminated from your vision at night. And if you can't, if you look at that with your blue light blocking glasses on, you can still see those tones. Sorry, but you're not going to be sleeping anywhere near as deep as you could. And your melatonin levels are not going to be saved where they should be either. It's, it's really important stuff when it comes to melatonin outside of sleep too. Yeah, man. Cool. So we're just going to stay with that for a second. Um, <laughs> so you brought up a really important variable there. Yes. Which was wife. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so like, it, you know, it's hard. Uh, so people don't like change, right? So when, when one person is like, I need to be more disciplined, I'm going to make the bed in the morning. And then the other person's like, nah. You know what I mean? Like it's a thing, right? So like how, and you know, like you just, you mentioned in that, um, that wonderful rant that you just have that you still are struggling with your wife to get her to wear these blue light blocking glasses, even though she sees very clearly that they had a huge uh, impact on your life and how you feel. And, and so like, like, did you just put that blue light blocking film on your tv just with like oh, i'm just doing it yes like better to just ask for forgiveness and permission type of thing that's exactly what it was you know um last summer um <laughs> i did it the wrong way i basically <laughs> forced my will upon my wife i said you know i've changed i've had all of these wonderful things happen i feel great now i basically come out the other side and i want to help you you don't have a choice in the matter so this is what you're doing now we're taking all of these steps and you're wearing this and you're not doing this. And um, it lasted about two months and I became a giant nag. And it was every night, hey, why aren't you wearing your glasses? Or me being, you know, just, <laughs> I don't know, I guess, the, I guess the best way to say it is me being a little too aggressive with my wife, maybe being passive aggressive at times. Like, 
hey, I see you're watching TV. Where are your glasses? There's just something stupid. And it got to the point where I felt like a nag and I didn't like that. You know, at the same yeah. time, I was doing that with my stepdaughter, who my stepdaughter is 13 years old. She's high-functioning Asperger's. She's ADHD. Um, she's got some pretty wild behavioral issues. issues. And um, I started basically biohacking her at the same time. So, you know, I looked at it, took a step back and I said, okay, well, my stepdaughter's doing great. Her complexion's changed, her sleep's better, her attitude and behavior's better. I'm winning on that side of it. But my wife has given me all the pushback in the world. And I said to myself, you know, when I got into the fitness industry, the first, one of the first things I was told was you don't train the people that you love exactly for the reasons that you just brought up, where right. people don't like change and, you know, you married this person for who they are and now you're trying to change them, but you're, you're always going to get some pushback from that if they're not willing to do that. So I decided that was not going to be my best course of action. And I decided one day, I said, all right, I'm no longer telling you what to do. You get to live your life however you want. And I'm not going to make you feel shitty about it. Because, um, you know, when I started doing this stuff, I told my wife, I said, you know, I love you, but you're going to become a second because I need to put myself first because I need to put my health first. I need to put myself above you because I can't take care of you unless I take care of me. And when her and I got together, we were actually both very disabled. So we went from being very disabled to me getting better to me being great. And now she's actually getting a little bit worse. So the relationship works in that regard, but I, I recognize the fact that me trying to change her when she's not ready or she's not willing is going to be a recipe for disaster. So yeah. now I just, I let her do her thing. And every once in a while I say, you know, I might drop something, you know, that's not the best thing for you to do, but she gets to listen to me rant about all kinds of shit all the time. So she does pick up things here and there. And every once in a while she does implement things. It's just like I tell my clients where little small steps are going to equal up to a big change. Right. And it's really those small things that I want you to focus on. I don't want you to try to change your whole life in one day. Nobody's going to be able to do that. But if you take the next year and you try to implement little changes that I've introduced you to, I'm going to be happy about that. At the same time, if you don't, I still love you. I'm going to live my life trying to provide the best life that I can for us and our family. And that's all I can really worry about. I've, I realized that I can't impact her life at the level that I want to, and that's okay. That was a really bitter pill for me to swallow because I help people and that's what I do. But the fact that my wife is a different person than I, um, I have to accept that. And the fact that she doesn't find much motivation or inspiration from my story, I, that really bothered me for you know probably over a year. It really did. And now it doesn't bother me at all because she is who she is. I married her for who she is and I don't want to change her just to change her because I want her to be healthy. I want her to want that herself too. Right. So I'm just hoping that and listening to all the things that I have to talk about, all the things that I've done that one day a light switch goes off and she says, you know, I think it's time that I start to change things. Too. You know, I right. just really hard for me to accept that right now I do. Right. And so our problem is the reason why we're friends. Yep. <laughs> because when we find something, we're fucking doing it and we're doing it hard and everybody's, metal, man. <laughs> and everybody's like holy shit and you're like no you don't understand yep. this is like so like when i took frc i was like everybody should do mobility work uh -huh. like everybody you know and my wife's like i don't want to do that and i'm like fuck why <laughs> why you know what i mean so it's like it's this big huge learning curve that is a constant thing 
and it's really interesting and everybody goes through it. But like, you got to think like if you have clients that you're struggling with trying to get to do mobility work or even just put on the blue light blocking glasses, don't for a second think that your wife is any different and yep. don't think that your, your um, significant other is anything like us because we are obsessive mm-hmm. personalities and I am addicted to progress and information. And if I wasn't addicted to progress and information, I'd be addicted to alcohol or drugs or whatever. <laughs> and so it's like, that's where I'm at. You know what I mean? I so like, that though. right. So it's like, and that's, and you know, Jesse, why are you overweight? Cause I fucking am addicted to food. That's why. <laughs> and that's what I do to make myself feel better. And I'm fully aware of that. You know what I mean? And so like, if I'm suffering from chronic stress, I'm going to eat myself a cookie or a donut or something to give myself a little window of opportunity to feel better about my current situation. Right. right. So, um, and that, and every single teacher I have ever learned from and every single coach that I've ever learned from is like, don't ever, like, even if your wife asks, don't answer, don't just stop it right there. What's the matter with my leg? I don't know. What, why can't I sleep? I have no idea, babe. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yep. <laughs> how come I'm not losing weight? I don't have any answers for you. So it's just like, it's because, you know, same reason why, you know, our wives are like, why can't you put the toilet seat down? You're like, cause don't care. Like, I'm sorry. Like, (laughs) or, you know, just the list goes on, but that's like the struggle with, with being in a relationship with someone is we're all different people and we all grow in different directions and we got to figure out how to do that together. And that's why a lot of marriages don't work. You know what I mean? So, you know, that's, it's a, it's a important thing to do. So the best that we can do is lead by example. Right. And so, very true. and so, man, that was good. It's good that you brought that up. Um, and so what else, um, what else are you working on then? So, th- cause that's a, you know, you've been taking a lot of steps. And so fortunately for me, I have been there since kind of the beginning of this kind of aha moment, mm-hmm. which was at that functional health solutions course. Right. And so I've been able to see your progress and your growth um, from there. And mm-hmm. it's just really, uh, really fun to watch. Like it's fun to, to see, people like me that are just like, fucking, I'm doing this. And then they just do stuff. You know what I mean? Instead of being super hesitant and super like trying to get everything perfect, like you just got to figure it out on the fly. So like, what else are you working on? Um, a lot actually, dude. Um, so I started a second business as well um, with a couple of close friends of mine where um, we are going to be doing group, group fitness classes um, for corporations. Okay. Um, so I'm the business manager for that. So I'm still doing a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. We just started out, just landed our first client. Um, I'm still in the midst of writing my first book about fibromyalgia. Um, that is a big undertaking. I first was going to do just a, a short ebook. And after doing a ridiculous amount of research, I realized that it's going to have to be a, a full book. So um, I just have to try to get, get people thinking about it in a different way, open their minds. And I've gotten a lot of feedback lately where, um, you know, people that have had this condition for several years say, you know, they're learning now from me more than they've ever learned from their doctors. Not that that's my goal. My goal is just to help people. It's been great to, to get that validation, but it's also telling me that I'm doing the right thing. You know, as much as here's my biggest problem is there's nobody out there like me. And I realize that. Um, and the problem is 
when people have information about this condition is they don't want to give anything up unless they're being compensated for it. Um, I've had many, many conversations with people over the last few months even where um, they're reaching out saying, you know, thank you for sharing this information. I you know, reached out to so-and-so and this person and they wouldn't give me any information unless I paid them for this. You know? And I said, well, that's just unfortunately the way it goes where, you know, I have information that you don't. If you like it, you're going to pay me for it. That's just kind of the way it goes with capitalism. Right. But, you know, I also feel that I'm one of the very rare people in this world that has come out the other side with this condition. And I think I would be being, would be doing the world a disservice if I didn't share my information. As right. much as this is my job, this is my career, and this is what I do, ultimately what I want to be able to do is bring hope to this community. So yeah. the easiest way for me to do that is just to share these, these informa this information, these ideas, this knowledge that I have. And, you know, I, I met with a young guy last week who works at a, one of the universities nearby. He was recently diagnosed about a month ago. Real smart guy. And we sat down. He told me, you know, Joe, um, the day I had my diagnosis, um, I had an anxiety attack. I was really depressed, woke up at three in the morning on the verge of a major panic attack. And then I found one of your videos and I stopped having that panic attack and it gave me hope. And it, it lit me on fire when he told me this and motivated me even more. And that's, those are the types of interactions that I have often that tell me that uh, me bringing this information out to the masses and making sure that it's free for the most part, I'm doing the right things. I yeah. wanna be able to impact as many lives as I can. You know, like uh, I made a video over the holidays for people who are friends and family of fibromyalgia sufferers. And um, that YouTube video has probably got over 13,000 views now. And that told me that in you know two months time, I impacted almost 15,000 lives with just one video. Yeah. And I can't tell you how good that made me feel because it's all I'm, I'm working towards is to not only bring more knowledge and light to this, not awareness, because I don't give a shit about awareness because nobody cares what you fucking have unless oh, they have yeah. it. Yep. You know, and that's my biggest issue too, is where people are like, hey, you need to be aware of fibro. No, we don't. You need to be more aware about your biology so that you can affect yourself and become your own doctor. That is everything that I try to tell people. And that's exactly what I always emphasize in, in my videos is I encourage people to do the research themselves, not only because they will then learn it and they can understand it, but then they can find things that can affect them at a personal level because it's not going to be like that for everybody. And most people don't want to do it. They're too concerned about the cure versus going after what the underlying causes are. And it was like an FHS thing. That was the one thing that I really got from that is we're always going to go after the underlying causes, like the root causes. So my biggest thing that I want to emphasize for people when they're watching my videos, listening to what I talk about is you need to ask the question, why? You know, act like a fucking three-year-old and just ask why. When you go to see your doctor and you have a doctor, it hurts here. Why doc? I don't know. Well, then you go see another fucking person who's got a different right. specialty that isn't your primary care physician who's seeing everybody with all their bullshit. You right. go see somebody like you, you know, you go see somebody like my friend who's a, a rofer. There's so many other people that we just don't give the time of day to that can help us. Well, that's and, like, it's super weird because you, we took a weekend course, man. Like it was two days and now there's people coming to me from like naturopaths and functional medicine docs. And I'm like, do I fucking know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Like they gave us so much information mm -hmm. in two days that I'm like, why are these people giving them this shit? Right. Like, what is it? What are you, what are you doing? Why aren't you asking the questions? You know what I mean? And that's like one of those, like, I love that question. Why? You know, especially like when in the training space. So like 
why are you doing wall balls? If you can't tell me why, then don't do it. Why are you doing snatches? Yep. Why are you doing burpees? Let's talk about it. Like what's so, and I'm not a closed minded individual. If you have a good fucking reason, then I can be convinced. But for, for like, there's so much stuff, dude. And it's just, it's so weird how, um, you just gonna go down these rabbit holes and get acquire all this information and then you start paying attention to more stuff and then you start asking why so when this person comes to me and they're in chronic pain why are they in chronic pain are they moving that's my first go-to are they moving yes or no are they inflamed yes or no like let's figure this out instead of just saying one thing or the other thing and so it's uh and or just kind of brushing people off down the road you know what i mean so like you know why is this emotional pain let's talk about that let's unpack this stuff like let's figure this out and i think that's like one of the things that is missing so much in today's society is a listening and b um like providing an actual solution for what the problem is and so like uh you know I was, um, I go to this coffee shop all the time and the, the, the bartender at this coffee shop was like, or the barista, I guess he's not a bartender, but anyway, barista was like, Hey man, you know, I was just in the back doing pushups and I'm like, well, cool. So why don't you do squats too? He's like, why would I do squats? And I'm like, why would you not do squats? And you know what I mean? And then they're just like, well, I don't know. And I'm like, so basically you're engineering yourself to be like a Taco Bell cup which is just engineered to spill. Like that's what you're doing. And then, so he's like, cool, I'll just do squats with my pushups. I'm like, great. You know what I mean? So like mm-hmm. now he's doing squats and pushups, but today he was like, well, I'm going to do some squats today. And I'm like, sounds good. Do some lunges too. He's like, why? And I said, <laughs> because like 80% of walking and hundred percent of running is on one leg. So why would you train with both legs underneath you? He's like, Oh, I don't know. I'm going to do some lunges and squats and push-ups. I'm like, great, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's, you, you, you have to understand, like you have to constantly be asking yourself what's going on and why is this happening? And so each time a client comes in and gets on my table or a client comes in and gets ready to train, I have to ask him, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like what's going on? Like, mm-hmm. where's, are you feeling any pain? Like, are you, you know, how was your day? How was your evening? How much sleep are you getting? How much, you know, so like each day, um, like I, like I explained when me and Andy were teaching, like every single day that person comes in, you're doing an intake, you're doing an assessment. What do you need to do? Well, I didn't sleep at all. Cool. So we're just doing minor movements today. We're not lifting heavy. We're keeping your stress down because you don't need any more like this. There's like this, it's, we need to start treating humans like humans, man. And just like, instead of like, so basically like your whole story is you going to doctors and being like, whatever, get out of my face. Like, I'll give you this. Just get out of here. You know what I mean? Because I don't want to sit here and figure out what your problem is. Cause I only have 20 minutes to get to the next person. Yep. And so, and so if somebody diagnoses you with something within the first 10 minutes, they're probably full of shit. I would, I would 
I think that's a pretty safe assumption. <laughs> right. And then so like the other thing, so like what we were talking about or what you were talking about, like at the beginning is like, how long did it take you to get shitty? Exactly. How, because then like you should expect it to take time for you to get better. So this is, we right. live in this world of immediate spectacular results. And I talk about this a lot on this podcast, like, you know, and I'm a victim of it too. Like if something takes longer than two days to get delivered to me, I'm so pissed. Like, you know what I mean? I'm super mad, but it's right. like, um, you know, or if I eat a salad and I don't lose five pounds, like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> it took me like five years to put on this weight. What makes you think I'm going to get rid of it in like a month? You know what I mean? Right. That's, that's so it's like getting people back to reality and kind of shaking the foundations of the tree here. And so that's why I'm really excited that you're putting out a book. Um, and well, multiple books, right? Is that what you said? Yeah. Um, the, I'm writing one right now. I have plans for three this year, actually. Jesus um, Christ. And <laughs> I know, I know I'm ambitious. And then over the next five years, I have a, I have a plan for at least six. Okay. So that's a undertaking and a half because there's people that do just that for a living. And so, you know, <laughs> well, I look at it like this, you know, I have this book that I'm writing now, like I said, it's, it's going to be a little bit anecdotal about my story, but more so about the things that I have taken into consideration, the things that I studied and researched that ultimately led me to reversing my fibromyalgia symptoms. Right. Then we're going to have a book that's just my story. There will be a, a book that's about exercise for fibromyalgia. There's going to be a sleep for fibromyalgia, and there's probably going to be another book for fibromyalgia that'll be about some of the other biological processes and why we got to look at things like circadian rhythm or mitochondria, those things. Um, but you know, I've never been one of those goal orient oriented people. Um, yeah. I just kind of let things just go and just took life when it came to me. And over the past couple of years, I've realized that goal setting is a good thing. Um, I think that I perform better under pressure. I always have, but now if I set a long-term goal, like, all right, I want to have my first book released this year. I think that's a, a very doable goal, regardless of how busy I am. I've put it on the shelf for the past two months um, because my wife has basically been immobile and has been in a wheelchair and hasn't been able to work. So I've been doing literally everything, yeah. um, you know, but now that she's starting to walk again and, you know, I'll be able to start writing again. And I want to get this book out this year. It's just that, that, that goal setting for me has taken a while for me to, to wrap my head around that and to be able to accept it. But now that I know that I can set goals and achieve them, I'm ready to go after them. You know, the other thing that I'm writing, um, as, am I going to write one thing I touched on already is going to be writing the, um, program movement program for fibromyalgia again. Um, yeah. This time I'm going to take a, a big step back. Um, cause the first one was way too much. The second one was a little better, more appropriate, but again, it wasn't for, it was for one level for an introductory level for somebody who like me was in a wheelchair is just starting out. Hasn't moved in a long time. Is very scared of moving because they don't want to feel like shit. That program is done. I need to have two other levels for people too. So that I can accommodate more people and help more people rather than just like, well, sorry, I can't help you. Uh, my roster's full and I've only got a program for the most fucked up. That's not okay with me, you know, so I'll be doing a ridiculous amount of writing and creating this year. Uh, but it's something that I love and I'm passionate about just like you, you know, when you're passionate and you're obsessive about like we are where you just go a mile deep on a subject, 
I know that I'm, I'm doing the right thing and I know that I'm going to not only grow my business, I'm going to impact more lives that way too, by just yeah. staying on it and just keeping that content out. Well, and so a lot of it is, um, you know, there's a reason why I want to take a lot of these courses over and over again is because like there, there's so much knowledge out there and people need so much help. And so, you know, one of the things that I've been really successful with is being able to go wide with my knowledge and then be able to dial it in into a narrow focus mm -hmm. and really focus on integrating a lot of information into my practice. And so I'm trying to figure out a way to present that to the world, especially in uh, the world of uh, therapeutic massage where um, the information that we receive and the societal narrative is really archaic and you know trying to get us to be a legitimized uh, rehabilitative profession is going to be a long tough road but also you know i've i've i have a lot of friends who have taken a lot of courses with me that just don't practice any of this stuff at all because they're afraid of failing and they don't know how to integrate it and they don't know how to um uh piece it all together. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that I've been really focused on is figuring out how to do that. And, you know, kind of going through my mental process when a person comes in, okay, what's happening? Where's their pain? Okay. So is it their low back? Cool. So then let's palpate all their lymphatics. Is their lymphatics over? Like, is it like global or is it localized? Cause if it's global, then they're, they have chronic inflammation. So now we need to go down that road and figure that out. If it's just localized, cool. Why? Let's go, you know what I mean? So then is this a muscle thing? Is this an inflammation thing? Is this a, is this a nervous system thing? Is this an eye thing? Is this a vestibular thing? Like you're constantly asking questions and you're constantly getting answers instead mm -hmm. of just, you know, and so just having the fortitude to learn something new, come into your practice and immediately start trying to apply it. Because what I think that a lot of these other practitioners don't understand is you already have a base knowledge and it works. So try the new stuff. And if it fails, go back to the base. You know right. what I mean? And then, because eventually that integrates into your stuff, right? right? And so that's like something that I've been really working on, but it's also like, you know, and where my podcast is really beneficial for me as well is I can brain dump on people. And so that's yeah. essentially what your books are going to be, right? Absolutely. Is your is you dumping all the shit out of your brain so that you can learn more stuff. Yep. Because like I forget names. Like I don't even know what day it is most of the time. I just have I, my schedule telling me when to go somewhere. <laughs> you know, and it's just like because I have so much information and I'm I'm constantly diving in and relearning things and just god, it's chaos. And like when when the FHS course finally, because they recorded a whole entire course and are going to put it for uh, as a as available so for people that have taken it already, mm -hmm. like I'm going to dive back into those videos and relearn a bunch of stuff, and you mm -hmm. know, because it's just because you take what works and what doesn't and make it a thing, you know. Right. So yeah, that's really cool. And then um, uh, your group classes too is really interesting. So. I kind of want to unpack that a little bit because I'm really um, just coming from the CrossFit space, really opposed to 
group classes. Sure. Um, and, but I do a, uh, the kin stretch, which is a group class, uh, modality of function range conditioning. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that I teach, uh, multiple times a week and w- would really enjoy teaching more often. Um, and so kind of, because like we just said, we're either all in or all out. Right. You know what I mean? So like right now I'm all out, no group classes for me. You know what I mean? So sure. let's unpack that a little bit because sure. so you're going corporate, right? Yeah. Um, we, we just, we had an opportunity um, where somebody that we knew uh, was working for a corporation and they had ended their contract with their, they had somebody else who was basically coming in and doing the same thing. And um, I got together with my friends and we felt, felt that we could offer a few different things that the, the company was asking for that just weren't getting so we could deliver it. Um, you know, the, the classes are small. Um, I used to teach group kettlebell classes, um, the last place that I used to work at. So, you know, for a couple of years, I was doing group classes. I'm pretty comfortable doing it. But, you know, I do have those apprehensions like you because I, I very much realize that people have a, a much greater tendency to get injured in group classes because you can't have somebody watching your form the entire time. And, you know, I appreciate that. I recognize that. Um, but at the same token, you know, we're doing small classes, the, the biggest classes, I think eight people right now. Um, we usually have at least two instructors, which, so the ratio is pretty good. Um, it's still going to be uh, centered around kettlebells for the most part. Uh, my two colleagues and I, that's basically this, the center, the center of our universe, not so much for me um, anymore. I think that I do more ground-based movement than anything else. Um, but it's just, you know, our thinking for this, um, I, I created the tagline for it, um, basically, uh, see if I can even remember it, which was um, keep your employer, employees happier, healthier, and missing less work. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, that's what we're, you know, we're being hired to do is to create incentive for employees, um, giving them a little different thing where they don't have to go to the gym. They don't have to spend that money on a gym membership. They're getting trainers to come in there and to teach them different skills. Um, so it's, it's a good thing. I have my reservations, just like you spoke about with, with group classes, but I know um, how I teach. I know how my two colleagues teach. And for right now, at least for the first month, we're offering where we can have two instructors. Nice. So where, you know, we at least have, you know, that four to one ratio. I'm okay with that. Um, yeah. If I were doing semi-privates or something, um, that's the highest number I would ever go to. Um, I, I coach a group on the weekends that was up to five people all five different levels, by the way, which, wow, um, <laughs> not the best. And no, really cool, yeah, that's, that's a thing. Creates great challenges for me as far as programming goes. Um, but now uh, that, that group is the biggest that I coach. Um, four people, basically. I'm, I'm hoping that we can keep the ratio at, at one to four with the coaching, but just a little different. Um, just to getting these people to move, they're all office workers. Yeah, so something's really better than nothing. Exactly, you know, it really is. We got one guy who... Um, he had some, uh, injury to his L4, L5. So he had some real reservations. He went to his Cairo and his Cairo tells him, you know, I don't want you to do to work with kettlebells. Cause everybody that I have come in here has worked with kettlebells gets hurt. I'm like, were they doing CrossFit or what the fuck were they doing? Because if they have actual coaching on technique, they're not getting hurt. So, you know, like we, we taught them, um, most of the class, I'd say yeah, five out of the eight have already been doing kettlebell swings and have plenty of plenty of time with the kettlebell there's three guys that don't we worked on today with the swing and they all left feeling really good about it and we did too it was a great class so 
I think it'll be a really good thing where we want to grow this organically over the next few years to where um, we make an impact. No, 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 we're talking, not talking about nationally or anything like that, but make an impact locally to where um, people are recognizing that this is a viable business that can do some great things to keep their employees happy, keep their employees, you know, showing up to work. Because I think that um, in the corporate realm, especially and with the way that the environments are set up in corporations, I don't think they're the most positive um, and I don't think they're nurturing for health. I think mm -hmm. they're kind of going the opposite end. So I think that the more people that we can open their eyes and enlighten them to that this type of stuff can be a possibility for their business and their employees. I think that's a good thing, but I don't ever want it to be like, Hey, we got a group of 30 people to one instructor. That shit will never happen because that is a lawsuit waiting to happen. You know, it's, right. I've coached classes up to 20 people and I was always a little, a little scared when I had that many people because yeah, these people might be doing this shit regularly, but all it takes is one asshole to think about the fight that they got in with their spouse in the morning while they're in the middle of a ballistic movement. And then boom, there's yep. an injury, you know? So. Yeah. So that's interesting. Um, so one thing you said in there that triggered me was when we have all these health professionals telling people to just not do stuff. Mm -hmm. And then that's what gives them the fear of movement. Yep. And that, makes me so mad and so i the way that i look at it is and the way that um you know andy looks at it and you look at it is like you should understand the basic principles of rehabilitative practices if you are a coach or a trainer because you know one of the reasons why i left crossfit is like if somebody has a shoulder injury they're just like don't use it I'm like that's like fucking half a crossfit <laughs> stop you know what i mean like what are you doing that's yeah. so dumb you know what i mean like just don't use your back anymore okay when do you not use your back right like you know so then it's like the the why and so but, but the public isn't educated right so when someone a chiropractor who is supposed to be educated goes and says hey don't use your back anymore then they're like oh shit okay yep. but then we're like why that's so dumb. You know what I mean? And my problem is, is I'm friends with all these high level practitioners. Like I said before, you know, like Ben Ramos and, and Dr. Sebastian Gonzalez, all these like top high end chiropractic professionals who are rehabilitated professionals. And so I'm on this little Island in Flagstaff, Arizona, where all the chiropractors do the same shit. And I'm just like, <sighs> just constantly just like, stop, yeah. stop it. Like I, if I could do high velocity joint manipulations, I would, and you wouldn't be involved in my client's life anymore. Mm -hmm. but sometimes I need a neck adjusted and that's why I send them to you. Don't give them any more advice past that. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, no. uh, you're hundred percent right with that. That's something that I, one of my clients and I, we've had this conversation about this specifically a number of times because she is that person. She's yeah. 70 years old. She's had all kinds of physical issues over the years. She wasn't walking for six months at one point. She's had uh, some issues with her lumbar spine. She's had some really bad knees, all kinds of stuff. And we've talked about it where her physicians have told her, you can never touch your toes again. You can't do this movement again. And now she's doing these things and she's amazed. She goes, they told me forever that I could never do this shit. And that's when I told her, I said, I pulled her aside and I said, look, 
here's my issue just as yours is that unfortunately, if you have an acronym, an acronym like DC or MD after your name, those words that you say carry much more weight than anybody else's yep. and what you say matters to them more than anybody else because they're putting their faith into you and your experience and your knowledge. You have went to school for longer than they, you learned some things that they didn't. So they're putting all of their faith in you. And then they tell you, well, you know, I don't think it's good that you do this anymore. And I'm looking at her going, you shouldn't touch your toes. Like why the fuck shouldn't you touch your toes? You know, and <laughs> it's like, or just says that, you know, and I said, is there some type of physical deformity that I'm not seeing here or something? Right. Is there some type of structural damage that I don't know about that is not in your physical activity readiness questionnaire? What is it? Right. No, just the doctor said, you know, I had this back injury and I shouldn't touch my toes. I shouldn't hinge anymore. And I go, that's fucking lunacy. I said, right. that's, a, that's a primal human movement. There's no way that without any structural damage that you shouldn't not touch your toes. Right. You so don't pick, don't pick stuff up. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. So, and then it's like one of my favorite quotes from Dr. Spina from the FRC course is he said, running isn't bad for your knees. Shitty knees are bad for your knees. <laughs> and so it's like, so then you're just like, well, so just stop running. No, let's right. run better. Let's figure out why you're not running well. Right. And then, or let's figure out why you're not squatting well. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I started following that knees over toes guy who's just like this, like really kind of profound idea if you think about it, because his whole entire life, I don't know if you heard his story or not, but like he's, his whole entire life, he had chronic knee pain, but he was like, he would have been like an exceptional basketball player if he didn't have knee pain. And every doctor that he goes to, just tells him not to play basketball anymore. And he just keeps going and going. And then he's like, um, you know what? I'm going to make my knees better. And then, so now he can do whatever he wants. And he's like changing the lives of all these people who have had shitty knees their whole life. And so like, you know, it's a, uh, and then, so one of the things is just like, one of the exercises that he does is literally just stepping off a box and, you know, I started trying it because he's a savage and he's been doing this for years. So he does like, so he has like a six inch box and he steps off of it with his, like with 205 pounds on his back. And I'm like, God damn. damn. And so, yeah, it's crazy. And so then I start doing it and then I start having my clients do that. And then I'm like, mm. so if you can't control yourself off of a six inch box, then you're literally falling down the stairs. And so you're just teetering on the edge of oblivion, whether or not you're falling under control or not. So let's control your shit. You know what I mean? So anybody that comes in with knee pain now, I'm like, cool, let's do some knee exercises because your knees are probably shitty and you should be able to control yourself stepping off a curb. Yeah. Like what? And, you know, it took me like, I'm a, I'm a pretty strong and fit and mobile guy. And like, it took me a couple months to do that adequately. Yeah. And I'm like, damn, man, you know what I mean? So now I'm like really working on it, you know, but it's like, um, it's, it's stuff like that where you just got, I got, so speaking of that, I got an argument with my first idiot on Instagram and <laughs> I posted something a while ago about saying squatting with your knees over your toes isn't bad. And he's just like, that's false. And I'm like, is it? Because um, it's 
what? And so then I said, well, how so? <clears throat> and then he said, well, you should be squatting this way. And I was like, how are you, who are you to say anybody should be squatting a specific way? Mm -hmm. Because I guarantee you 7 billion different people squat 7 billion different ways based, based off of their physiology. Yep. And each squat that they squat is different than the squat that they previously squatted <clears throat> because different, mu different muscles are firing at different reactions. It's all, the, it's all different. Mm -hmm. So your brain has a different solution for each squat and people that are better squatters have more solutions for each squat than the people who aren't as good. And so, you know, then I started well, going down like, well, here's some literature, the joint by joint approach. It's really easy. It's really mm -hmm. simple. Let's talk about it. Like if you can convince me otherwise, then I'm game. But like a majority of my education has been in joint function. And so like we can go down this road if you want to. And then, so the next day he was like, well, I didn't say you were wrong. And I was like, oh my God. So let's <laughs> stop. So it's just like, um, just stop telling people they can't do stuff. Yeah. Start figuring out why they can't do it. And so like, that's the problem. That's basically what my whole entire rant was about just now. It's just like, like we're not, the leading experts on stuff. Right. You know what I mean? There's always somebody smarter than us. that's done more research than us. And if you, if you have somebody coming in that has like a specific thing that's going on and it's above your pay grade, ship them out. Yes. And don't be afraid. And that's where like building that network's like really important, you know? And so, and so basically what I'm trying to say is the more that I've learned, the more that I understand when it's above my pay grade and when it's time to ship somebody out. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's incredibly important to not be overly egotistical with your practice. I think ego is important because that's what drives us to learn as much as we learn. And that's what gives us the courage to write books and create education courses and reach as many people as we can. Um, but I also think that it can be a detriment to a lot of practitioners who think that they're the end all be all. Agreed. That's, um, that's something that I'm <clears throat> trying to work through. Um, I recently just joined a referral network and um, it's great where I'm just, you know, trying to build my business organically, but I'm getting referrals to different places. And um, one of the guys in my group referred me to a, a local Cairo. And, you know, just a connection via email. And he says, you know, I think you guys would be a great fit for each other. You know, Joe, this Cairo does this and this. Cairo, Joe does this and that. I think that with what you do, what you, both of you do, would be a great fit for your client base. So I reached out to the Cairo and I never got a message back from him. I got an email back from him. But then, you know, I go and look on his website and, you know, he does some, some type of training with people. He's got his own ideas and modalities that he likes to do with people. And, I realized that there's going to be a lot of crossover with somebody like that <clears throat> with what I do with my practice. So, you know, I realized that, but that's where ego is coming in too, where I guarantee that I can do some things that he can't do for his clients and vice versa. I like to have a good Cairo in my network. I don't have one currently. That's one of the few that I don't, I have a great rolfer and NKT specialist and a couple other modalities, but I don't have a Cairo and, Right now, I find that my biggest issue is because of ego, where, <clears throat> excuse me, there's been two that I've been introduced to over the last six months, and neither of them want to do anything with me because they're afraid that I'm going to take their business, mm -hmm. you know, versus like, hey, I can actually probably help your clients 
at a level that you can't. And then when I get to that point, I can refer them to you because that's what I do. That's why I have the clinicians and therapists in my network like I do. But I think ego is a big part of that. Like you said, we do need to have ego. But I think we need to put it aside a lot more too when we're trying to help people the best that we can. We need to realize the scope of our practice, like you said, and be able to refer out when you can't help that person anymore. And I've, I talked to a lady two weeks ago from New York. Um, she was looking for help. Um, she has fibro and she moves really well. She does a bunch of stuff, but she's got some feet issues and some ankle issues from old injuries. And um, I said, look, I can't, I can't put my hands on you. I don't have the uh, licenses to do that, nor can I do that via the internet. But the biggest thing is, is I told her, you know, I'd love to work with you, but I'm not going to work with you until you get these looked at. Because from what you're telling me, there's probably some scar tissue issues from the old injuries that are preventing some dorsiflexion, plantar flexion, whatever it may be. Some range of motion has been uh, compromised. You go and look for somebody that does this modality or this modality. If they don't do that or somebody, you can't find somebody close, try this. Until then, I won't work with you. Because I think that's me doing a disservice to somebody and me being untruthful, which I, I have integrity and character. So I have a hard time doing that where, hey, yeah, I'll take your money. But... I probably can't help you with your goals. That's a big problem for me. And that's why I need to have that network of people to outsource to. So you know, I encouraged her. I said, look, you know, you, when you go through and you get these things addressed and you feel like you're better and you want to go ahead and try to attain those goals and you want to you know, reach out to me, let's do it. But I won't work with you until that happens. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people don't do that in their practice where they see a dollar sign and like, I can help everybody. And as you know, and I know, and we have learned, if, if anybody tells you that they can help everybody, you get the fuck away from that person as fast as you can. Right. But I think there's a lot of that, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah. And that, I, I experience a lot of that where I'm at right now. And it's, a, it's, um, God, it's really unfortunate because we're all just trying to do the same thing. And so that's just make humans better at being human. And so like, why wouldn't we work together on that thing? And so, you know, that's, why I'm so disappointed in a lot of the chiros that I have here locally is because um, I refer a lot to them, but they don't refer to me because then those people won't come back to them. Uh-huh. But like a lot of my friends that I've made through all these education courses, they don't want to see you anymore. <laughs> right. Like I, you know, I, I want you to come in with pain and relatively short amount of time leave with no pain right i don't want to see you three times a week until you die because that's not a thing it's like sim- it's like similar to if you have to keep refilling your prescription your prescription's not working and so that's like the so what what are we doing what are you doing on top of your chiropractic adjustments what are you doing to make that person move better what are you doing to keep that person running without pain what are you doing to you know make sure that that person's neck doesn't go out again whatever it is that their problem is like what are you doing are you just looking at them being like oh great another person that i can see once a week you know what i mean so it's like it's uh it's really hard because then once you get to you know because we're essentially doing like what pts are doing we're we're essentially we're doing a lot of this stuff Mm -hmm. and if they're if like i said if it's above my pay grade i'll ship them right out to a pt i don't care Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like, um, I just learned, uh, clinical neurodynamics, uh, with Michael Shacklock and, you know, the very first week I had a guy come in and we had great results. 
the next week after taking that course, he came in and I was doing some neurodynamic stuff on him and he started getting different symptoms in the lower half of his body. And I was like, this is not good. You need to go, you need to go to a neurologist right now. You know what I mean? And they appreciate it. People appreciate it when you say that, you know? And so, um, you know, there, there was, I was working with a swimmer last week and he came in and I did, um, I was working on his low back cause he was complaining of low back pain. And then I started doing neurodynamics testing and I was like, Nope, this is an acute injury. And this is something that has to do with the spine. I want to refer him out to mm-hmm. this chiropractor, you know? And so it's really important to understand that stuff. And, um, and man, building a network is so hard because I have another client who has, you know, uh, liver, toxification that is higher than my pay grade. Mm-hmm. And so I try to send them to a naturopath. I start, I start trying to reach out to all these different naturopaths to see what their protocols are, what they're doing, making sure they're not just going to suck my client into something that's going to make them spend a lot of money, you know, make sure they're not full of shit. And none of them got back to me. And I'm just like, what are we doing? You know what I mean? Like I'm trying to like, send somebody to you and it needs help and you're just ignoring me like what is happening it is and so it's one of those really frustrating things that just is like we just need to quit being so fucking greedy and work together on stuff because like and you know there's i'm fully aware that you know my personality might not jive with somebody else's so i have a i have trainers that i'll send people to Mm -hmm. like i'm not you know, we're all in this to make money, obviously, because that's what make the world go round. But like, I don't need it that bad to where I'm going to like our relationship is going to suffer because of that. Right. That's a good point. Yeah, man. So God, we've been after it for a while, uh, over an hour already. So (laughs) yeah. Um, what books are you reading right now? Oh dude. Oh, I might even have it right here. Actually. I am reading one of the best probably life-changing books that i've read oh um, the fucking life changers man i will tell uh where is it i know i had it somewhere around here i took all my stuff out of my backpack anyway um here it is yeah now we're talking lights out lights out sleep sugar and survival get nine plus hours of sleep a night and lose weight curb your craving for carbohydrates eradicate depression Lower your blood pressure and stress levels. Reverse type 2 diabetes. Minimize the risk of heart disease. Help prevent cancer. Written by T.S. Wiley with Bent Formby, PhD. This is, I can't even tell you, Jesse. You want to get your fucking head split wide open? Read this book. Okay. Uh, I'm ordering it right when I get off this with you. I I buy all my books used for the most part. Yeah. Um, This one is a former library book. I think I bought it for five bucks. One of the best $5 I've ever spent. So I have, I have, um, pencils that I highlight with instead of pens. I've actually gone through almost an entire highlighting pencil with this book. And that's only halfway through the book. Yeah. Um, this book is it's, it's dense. It's a very dense scientific book that you'll understand it. Um, some of it is you're going to have to reread some of it, you know, a couple paragraphs, a couple times, but the information in this book is absolutely life changing. Uh, if you're a dietitian or if you're a nutritionist, if you're somebody that works with nutrition at all, if you're somebody that works with people with type two diabetes, 
or if you want to understand light and the way it affects our biology a little better, this book really lays all of it out. Um, there are 205 pages and then there are 107 pages that are just about the references for this book that was written. It is as scientific a book as you will read, but I, I honestly, I mean, I've read a, a ton of really great stuff about light, about sun, different stuff. This book peeled my eyelids back like I can't even believe. I've had this, there's been a couple of times where I've had to reread a page like five times because there is so much incredible knowledge that most people could use these days, whether it be for chronic illness, type two diabetes, for sleep, whatever, that like I'm reading this going, oh my God, I can't believe this is actual fact. But then you can go back and you can read the research paper that you can go to the glossary of the footnotes and see where all this information is coming from. Nice. Um, which, you know, for me with, for fibro, all the things that I've gone down the rabbit holes for was basically building vitamin D naturally, building melatonin naturally, um, circadian rhythm was a big one, um, my, and protecting your mitochondria. Those are the biggest ones. There's a couple other smaller ones, but those are the biggest rabbit holes. Uh, all the research that I've done, I've got to tie a lot of things together um, from things that I've learned um, through research. And this book has probably done that more than anything. It's yeah. really been enlightening, man. I, I can't recommend it enough. I think you really enjoy it. Right on, man. Um, and then I also forgot because you mentioned earlier that you um, are working with uh, Strong First. And so I want to unpack that a little bit. Yeah. Original strength. Original strength. Yes. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. So um, I've been coaching for them for their, with their system for a couple of years now. Um, before I got, before, when I was just an intern as an apprentice, as a personal trainer, um, my main mentor, he actually turned me on to that stuff, onto their system quite a bit. Um, I got to see him, you know, work with it and got to see some pretty good things happen. Um, before I even got really heavily into their stuff, um, just from the things that I had learned, I had a major victory with one of my first clients from using the original strength um, resets, which was, this is a young girl. She was 26. She was hit by a drunk driver when she was 21, um, suffered a traumatic brain injury, which then um, led to her suffering from pretty serious vertigo for about five years to the point where she couldn't even sit in her swivel chair at work and turn 180 degrees and stand. It was that bad. Yeah. And in eight sessions with me using um, a lot of these original strength resets, which happens to work upon the vestibular system quite a bit, got rid of her vertigo completely. You know, nice. I, I, we balled on the floor together. It was amazing. Um, so that really kind of piqued my interest. And then I went and took two of their courses a couple of years ago with Andy, actually, which is hilarious. Um, yeah. um, but I found so much value in what they were doing because I could see how the movements were affecting your biology because we are doing some type of a biofeedback test. But I also saw the potential for working with special populations like I was. Um, Cause even when I was at a corporate gym, the first day there, I told my manager, I said, everybody that comes through this door that nobody can work with, I want to work with everybody that's jacked up. I want to work with. And I found that, you know, a lot of those populations I couldn't do traditional exercise with. I couldn't do traditional movements that I like to do with them. So by getting them down to the floor and having them go back to the developmental process, I found that my clients were getting better very quickly <clears throat> within three weeks. I usually saw some improvement, some type of adaptation. And a lot of them, which a lot of them, like my senior clients, 
they really did needed to get their vestibular system activated and to get some balance and coordination training on top of getting strong. And their original strength resets allowed me to integrate all of those things at once for the most part. So, I mean, I had clients where, you know, they do however many sessions, like, and I never even, never even broke a sweat and I feel like I move better. I have more confidence when I move. I, my balance is better, all these wonderful things. So after going through both their courses, um, I basically, you know, made that uh, part of the foundation of what I do with people. Um, I take some other pieces from other parts too, but uh, the original strength resets are a big part of what I do just because they're so effective. They're easy on the body. You can really meet people where they're at, which is a huge thing for me with the populations that I work with because most of them are disabled and I got to really find where I can get them to move safely without really jacking up their threat. Yeah. So the, the resets for me have been a, a lifesaver. They've been something that I've personally used to get stronger than I've ever been. I used um, their leopard crawling um, like a year ago, something like a year and a half ago where you know, I crawl for 10 minutes a few times a week and I was able to do everything that I ever wanted to do physically because of that. But the main thing is it just, it makes you feel good. It allows you to move. It allows you to breathe. It allows you to find physical autonomy and it allows people to move when they've been scared to do that. And yeah. uh, my client with fibro is a perfect example. Um, we use a lot of original strength resets um, just to reduce her threat levels. Um, that's the main thing when I work with anybody who's in pain, you know, as soon as they walk in the door, it's like, Hey, how you feeling today? We just do an intake, like you said, an assessment. And then we would just reduce threat, whatever they need for that day. And it just so happens that most of the time we go down to the floor, we start doing some rocking or some head movements or something. So they've given me um, a valuable asset and some great skills and information that's allowed me to impact the lives of many, many more people than I could have without having that knowledge. Yeah. Um, and um, I reached out to original strength a couple months ago, with Tim and told them like, Hey, you know, this is what I do. It's a big part of what I do. Um, it's helped me get my life back um, as far as the movement aspect. And I'd love to just, you know, share that information with your um, client base, because I think that, you know, most of the people that follow original strength, are going to be trainers and things, but there are some people that are not, but I want the people that are trainers to know that you can use these things for not just athletes, but for everyday people, but for also for special populations. There is a, um, on the um, original strength Facebook group for people that have gone through the alumni page, there's a gentleman on there who he had, he was born with some pretty severe physical uh, limitations and disabilities. And over the last two years of watching this guy, and we're talking, he couldn't walk at one point. He does stuff that is absolutely mind blowing now because you saw the progression of him basically just as um, like an infant who could barely move on the floor to putting these things into practice every day to now being able to move in ways that even his doctors would have told him he would have never been able to do. Yeah. So uh, I've had major victories, not just with, you know, like uh, the, the woman who had her TBI. Um, when I found like that was for me was the game changer. I said, all right, I'm going all in on the original strength stuff because I saw such a dramatic change in this young woman, but I've had other victories too with it where um, my biggest one, man, this is crazy, Jesse. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't believe it. I didn't, if I didn't see this with my own two eyes, I had a client who was blind. He was 51 years old, um, big guy, 6'4", like 315 pounds. And he had a stroke or two strokes in his early 40s. And that's why he eventually became blind. So that tells me that we've got, you know, some, some brain issues. And um, one of the things that we can do with some of the original strength resets um, is anytime across the midline, especially if we're touching the opposite side, I guess both hemispheres of the brain to talk to each other, right? <clears throat> Your brain becoming more efficient and getting a little bit more active activity than it normally doesn't get. 
in five sessions, that's all I had with this guy. In each of the five sessions that I had with them, we worked starting out with just kind of some activation drills um, and using original strength resets. One of them that we did is a cross body pattern seated and just had him take his right hand and touch his left leg, left hand, to the right leg. And we do that for like a minute, whatever it was. Each of those five sessions, right after I had him do that, this man's face lit up like you have never seen a human being's face light up. And uh, he'd look at me and say, Joe, it's happening again. And I'd say, I say, are you sure, Ken? He said, yeah. He says, I can see. He says, now any physician that I've worked with will tell me that I'm still legally blind. He says, but I can make out shapes that I never, ever can. He goes, I don't know what the fuck you're doing, but it's doing some magic. So I, when I saw the first gal who we got rid of her vestibular issues and a vertigo, and then I saw this man where his brain connected in a way that it hadn't in over a decade and it allowed him to physically feel something that he shouldn't be allowed to anymore. That was the moment for me that I said, I'm going to learn everything I can about this system because I think that it has a lot of value. I'm not saying it's a panacea. It's not a cure for everything because it's not, nothing is, but I've seen so many amazing changes from just using, you know, small little movements that are so easy on the body, but just give and give to the body. So their system for me is, like I said, the foundation of what I do. It's a part of my foundation because it allows me to work with more populations of people. It allows me to meet those populations of people where they are physically and allows me to get them going and allows them to progress faster than most. Because yes, we can load you all the fucking live long day. Um, a guy that I rent space from now, we are, we, have very playful arguments with this because I spend my most of my time on the floor and he tries to load as quick as possible. So we have <clears throat> two different thoughts and you know, we will have a nice argument about it, but I, I still always come back to like, if you have somebody that's fucked up, how are you going to get them to load a shitty pattern within a few weeks? You're not, you're going to have to get them to move and break free from their limitations. And then you can start to load them. But he's a former athlete. <clears throat> He was an Olympic level athlete. So our thought processes are different where I've never been a high level athlete. I was somebody who suffered from a chronic illness for years and years. And when I started exercising, my first day of exercise wasn't going to a fucking gym and lifting. I walked a half a mile. And if yeah. I had to walk another 10 feet, I would have been crawling. Those are the people that I work with. Granted, if they're working with me for like two years, yes, eventually we're going to be loading a pattern. But when I see that, I have one client right now. She's a perfect example. She's been with me for about two years. Um, she has pretty severe osteoporosis. And you know, she was in a shit ton of pain when I met her. She couldn't move for shit. She sees me once a week. In that two-year span, coming in once a week, that woman now gets to the bottom of the squat with no problem, is as strong as she ever wants to be as a 61-year-old woman. She can move in ways that she couldn't as a 20-year-old woman. And her balance and coordination, her vestibular system is so fucking dialed in, I could probably shake her for an hour and the woman would feel fine. Yeah. You know, it's just, I've met her where she is and just had her on the floor doing all these movements and variations and progressions of everything. And she still is getting value out of all of it. Yeah. So that's one of my big frustrations um, from where I came from mm -hmm. um, is, you know, people just loading shitty patterns and so it's like um it's like so if you have a shitty squat why would you load the squat right. but then that's like the the 
it drives me crazy and I get in arguments. Well, that's not really arguments. It's just like, so the guy that I'm renting space from right now is really like-minded. So it's basically just yelling frustrations at each other very <laughs> passionately, but it's like, so, you know, so a, like one of my big things is squatting below parallel. I think that's a competition standard. So like you need to look at where the person is and then have them squat to where they're squatting to who cares if they're squatting below parallel. Nobody, nobody cares. I can squat ass to grass. You don't care. Nobody cares. Like it's fine. Like, you know what I mean? So like what matters is that you're squatting, right? Just like I said with the barista the uh, earlier, like he needs to squat. Everybody needs to squat. It's a fundamental human movement pattern. And so, but like, if you're like what you were just saying, like if you're just loading somebody up and you know, like, Hey, CrossFit, this is just my opinion. (laughs) Putting that out there. Like, so if somebody has a shitty squat, for sure they shouldn't do a run one rep max ever. Nope. So like, so basically you're loading on top of a shitty movement pattern, Mm -hmm. which then takes it longer to get rid of that shitty movement pattern because you're reinforcing that shitty movement pattern. And so that's like one of the things that Dr. Spina says a lot. He's like my power animal right now. He goes in and out, but like he talks about like, you know, and I said this in the course with like, um, that I was teaching with Andy, like, the force is a language of cells and movement is what we say. So when you're doing a squat, the force of the squat is going to the extracellular matrix, which is then going to the intracellular matrix, which is then going to the intranuclear matrix, which is then influencing the proteins that those genes spit out, mm-hmm. which then creates tissue, right? So if you are giving them shitty loading patterns and you were just spitting out shitty tissue and reinforcing that pattern. Yep. Right. So we have like, when you break it down like that, we have this incredible responsibility as trainers and coaches to make sure that our people are moving correctly so that they're getting the right language and that we're speaking clearly to those cells on what we're trying to do and what we're trying to create. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, I don't like if you're if you're a competitive power lifter or a competitive Olympic lifter, for sure one rep max all the time. Mm-hmm. If you're not, never. Don't yeah. ever do it. Why? Like I remember the last time I did a one rep max, probably been two years since I've done one. Right. So then what's our favorite question that we established? Why? Why are you doing that? Right. You know what I mean? So then there's the other thing, like kipping pull ups. So we have this guy in our gym who is um He's like a physicist. And he, like the first time I asked him, what do you do for a living? He said, oh, I study volcanoes on the moons of Mars. And I'm like, what? And so we went through and we put a accelerometer on my chest and I did a couple kipping pull-ups. Mm-hmm. And so through the math of physics, we discovered that your shoulder at the bottom of a kipping pull-up has to decelerate two and a half times to five times your body weight if you're fresh. When you're fatigued, that goes to five to 10 times, right? So on your shoulder joint. So if you don't have prerequisite mobility and prerequisite strength Mm -hmm. to handle those type of loads, what on earth makes you think that you're going to come out of that without injury? You know what I mean? So it's like, so, you know, so logic trumps whatever the fuck you think that you should be doing. Mm -hmm. And so like just... 
like, God, just stop it. And so I'm going to cut this off because me and you can talk forever. And we've been going for 90 (laughs) minutes. (laughs) But luckily we're friends and I can just reach out and we can do another one because you're doing really exciting stuff right now. So we're going to catch up again in about a year and see where you're at. Appreciate that, brother. Absolutely, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on, dude. I enjoyed the conversation like always. Uh, Me too, man. My pleasure. I appreciate you reaching out. I appreciate you, Jesse. Appreciate you putting on this podcast and putting someone like me on here, man. Absolutely, brother. And we'll talk again soon, okay? Sounds good, Jesse. All right. Have a good one. You too.